Well, good morning. morning. Come on, who's excited to be in church today? That's what I'm talking about. Everybody's awake. Everybody's ready for the day. I love one of my favorite uh, psalms is uh, when they said, let me, I was excited when they said, let me come into the house of the Lord. There's nothing like being in church. And I got to tell you, this week I was on the phone with my mom. Some of you may know that my stepfather's been going through this like two, two and a half year battle with cancer. And, and because of the kind of cancer and all the things surrounding it, they have not been able to be in church because they've had to be careful that she wouldn't get anything that she could potentially give to him because his immune system has been compromised. And so it's been this whole thing. And, and I was talking to her this week and, and she was just almost in tears. She's like, I just want to be able to go to church I just want to be able to be in church again with my brothers and sisters in Christ and be able to worship with other people. And I just, I was just sitting there and I, and I love church, but I was reminded even more how we can just take it for granted. And so I am so thankful that we get to gather and we get to come together. Let's not take that for granted. It's powerful. It is powerful. Just the encouragement that each of you offers one another and, and even me, it's just, it's awesome. And so I don't know, I got a little bit of ringing in, in, my, in my headset. Is this all right? Or do we need to get the handheld? Whatever's going to be better. Uh, my name is Keegan. I am the, the lead pastor here at our Belton location. If this is your first time to Vintage, I do want to welcome you. We are getting into an exciting and very important series called Stronger. We're kicking this off today. And uh, we've got resources for you. So... If you haven't had a chance, stop by uh, the, the table in the commons. You can pick these up. It's just $15 for both of them. Um, you don't have to have this. Uh, you can still participate in the service. We do have the, the notes for fill in the blanks online on our, uh, on our Vintage app. So you can go and download that if you want to. Um, but I will tell you that we wanted to get these materials available to you. Uh, we're not making money off of these. We're literally just covering our cost to be able to put them in the hands of people because the content literally can change the course of your life. It can change the course of your family. Family's life. And so uh, these books, Battle Ready, Pastor Stephen wrote to go along with this series. You're going to be able to dive into these. I would encourage you to get into a small group, go through this together with a small group. It's going to be powerful. Um, and then every Sunday, if you want to bring your workbook, uh, the, the, as we go through each week, the fill in the blanks, the notes are going to be right here. And so you can fill that out and then you'll have it to reference back. But I'm really excited about this series because here's the thing. Every one of us knows there's a spirit realm. There's a supernatural realm. Now, some of us, we want to keep our understanding of that to just what we see from Marvel and DC Comics, right? We just want to keep it to whatever, you know, Harry Potter is kind of the, the extent of our understanding of, of supernatural things and, and power that's beyond our natural ability. But make no mistake, there's a reason that God wired us, number one, to be mindful and to be uh, fascinated by the supernatural. And that's because our God is supernatural, and so right off the bat, as we get into this series, one of the things I want to tell you right now is that even though we're going to be talking about a spiritual battle, you got to understand we're not coming from this and approaching this uh, from a place of wondering if we will win. We are approaching all of this understanding that the victory has already been won and it is our job to stand firm and appropriate God's victory in the earth. So none of, the, of what we're going to get into and talk about is going to uh, be a question of whether or not we can pull it off, whether or not we can win, right? This is not a battle that, that we have to go into wondering if we're going to be victorious. No, God has already created the victory for us. He's already defeated the devil. He's, he's defeated forever. There is no changing that. 
But it's kind of like in the old medieval times when a king or a kingdom had, had conquered something and, and the victory was won. But guess what? It took a little time for that victory and that, that knowledge of, of what has happened to, to travel throughout the land. Right? This is kind of like what, what we're in right now where the victory was won 2,000 years ago on that cross. And now it's our job to, to enforce it in the earth today and to carry out that victory. And so I want to get into this today. I'm super excited. Uh, I also want to remind you that uh, we do have Forge coming up, gentlemen, in a couple of weeks, September 16th. I'm going to be able to uh, share at that Forge. I'm very excited. God gave me a, a message that I'm really, really pumped about. So I want to encourage you, don't forget to register for that. It's just going to be uh, in just a couple of weeks here. But uh, it's going to be powerful, I promise you. It's already been speaking to me and, and, and changing my life. And so, oh, where are my notes? Here we go. But let me get into this. I want to tell you, the big idea overall is this. We win spiritual battles by using the tools God has given us to overcome the enemy. Look at your neighbor and say, you cannot win a spiritual battle with your own tools. It's not going to happen. You and I don't have the ability to fight the spiritual battles without God's tools. And so we're going to talk about that. Uh, here's a funny story I want to share with you. I heard uh, there was a, a state trooper that sees uh, this vehicle on the highway doing about 20 miles an hour, and he pulls the car over to make sure everything is all right. And when he approaches the driver, he discovers that it is an elderly woman, and he says, excuse me, ma'am, are you all right? He asks, and she replies, oh, yes, officer, we're just fine. Was I doing something wrong? The officer says, well, ma'am, you were traveling well under the speed limit, and I was concerned that you might be having car trouble or something. But the officer, uh, the lady interrupts, says, uh, the lady interrupts and says, I saw a sign about a mile back that said 22, and I know I wasn't going any faster than that. <laughs> Chuckling, the trooper says, ma'am, that was a highway marker. This is highway 22. That's not the speed limit. Oh, now I, don't I feel foolish, replied the lady. Uh, the lady turned red, and, and, and the officer replies, that's okay, but please try to be more careful. I would hate to see you get hurt. Then as he turns to say goodbye to the other ladies in the back seat, he notices for the first time that they are trembling violently and quite pale. He says, ma'am, what is wrong with your friends? Can I escort you to a hospital? Oh, no, she says. They're all right. We just turned off of Highway 190. <laughs> Come on. How many of you know it's important to be able to pay attention and read the signs and understand the signs? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. And we're going to go back to Ephesians 6. As we were in Ephesians uh, in our last series, we talked about how we're going to unpack that more throughout this series. And so right here in Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, it says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, what if I told you that there was an entire army and there was an entire person in the spirit realm who was dead set on destroying your life? How many of you believe that? How many of you are like, I really don't know? There is. The Bible says in 1 Peter and 5.8 that the devil roars he, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour we're going to see here in a moment in john 10 10 that that the enemy's sole desire is to steal kill and destroy 
he is after ruining your life. And what he wants to do even more than ruin your life is keep you separated from God. Make no mistake about it. The devil is not a joke. He's not fake. He is very real. The Bible says that when he fell, that he took a third of the angels with him. Right? We would now call those demons or unclean spirits. It's like, man, can't we just talk about something else? No. This is of vital importance that we, we get rid of all of the weird uh, thinking about this kinds of stuff. There's nothing to be afraid of when you're a believer. If you're in Christ, there's nothing to be afraid of in all that we're going to talk about when it comes to unclean spirits and the demonic realm and, and principalities and powers and all these things. But you have to understand they are real. Don't be naive, right? Don't be ignorant of what's really truly happening in the unseen realm because it, it will affect you. It'll affect your family. It'll affect your kids. Why do you think that, that you see generational things like, like alcoholism or depression or on and on the list goes? Why do you think you'll see those things? Why? Because they're spiritually connected. It's not just about DNA or genetics. There are spiritual things that get passed on from generation to generation if they're not cut off, if they're not dealt with. There's people right now that are, that are trying to figure out why they're struggling with this, and then they, they go and, and, and talk to their mom and dad, and then they talk to granddad and find out, well, man, they struggled with the same thing their whole life. That's the enemy. And that's the enemy. Now, listen, you got to know this too. The devil or any unclean spirit cannot make you do something. But it can, and they can, influence you, and that's what they want to do. The enemy has no power other than what you give him, okay? That's why the Bible says, and we're going to talk about this, that's why the Bible says to, to not open the door, not leave a door open, not, not allow the enemy to come into your life to influence your life. But he's there, and if you give him an opportunity, make no mistake, he will come in and he will wreak havoc all over your family. And you'll be powerless to defend yourself against it and to say, no, no, we're not, we're not taking that here. There is a battle between light and darkness. And it's not just in Star Wars. It's real life. It's happening. It's playing out in our society, in our culture. It's all over the world. But guess what? Light always wins. Light always wins. Unless the light isn't shown. And that's the thing. That's why we tell, we, we tell you each and every week, you've got to let your light shine. You've got to be the light in the darkness. You've got to be the salt in the earth. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Darkness prevails only when light uh, fails, meaning fails to show up, fails to shine. The moment you turn the light on, where's the darkness go? It's gone. And that's what we're called to, called to be. Throughout the New Testament, Satan is referred to as the tempter in Matthew 4.3, the ruler of the demons, Matthew 12.24. The God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The evil one, 1 John 5.18. And a roaring lion, like I said in 1 Peter 5.8. We have to know our enemy if we're going to prevail. The first thing is to make sure we're submitted to God and then we must resist. James 4.7, look at this. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Like I just said a moment ago, you cannot overcome the enemy without God's power, without surrendering and submitting to him. 
You can try and fight it in the natural. You can try and do whatever you want, but you will not have victory until you use God's strength and use his tools. Exodus 14, 15 through 16 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Did you notice how God asked Moses the question, why are you crying out to me? Why do you think he asked him that? I'll show you. He's not saying that because Moses is so strong. He's saying that because he told Moses chapters earlier that the battle was already won. Look at this, Exodus 6, 1 through 6. But the Lord replied to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of a strong hand, he will let them go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his hand, from his land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but I was, uh, I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. Verse 4, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. Now, if you've already told somebody the outcome and told them what actions to take and they don't take those actions, but then they come back and complain to you about the same problem, what would you do? You're going to be annoyed, right? Or you're going to wonder, why are you still asking me about how to fix this problem when I've already told you this, the outcome, if you will do what I said to do? Now just go do it. This is what spiritual warfare is really about. God has already laid it all out for us in Scripture. We're going to see. He's already given us everything we need to resist the enemy, to defeat the enemy, right? To overcome the enemy in his strength. The question is, will we, like I said earlier, appropriate it? Will we do what we're called to do to stand firm? God's not going to stand firm for you. He's not. You have to do that. You and I have to be the ones that say, you know what, God? I believe your word is true. And so when I come up against this thing, this is what I know to do. And you've got to do it. Do you know the Christian life takes effort? Anybody experience that? Or has this all just come so swimmingly easily to you? That you just never have any issues. You never have to stand in a trial. You never have to endure suffering. You never have to. No, we have to deal with those things. Come on, and we have attacks. The Bible says, we talked about this uh, a couple weeks back, about there's flaming arrows that the enemy is, is trying to shoot at us. Now, they're not physical arrows. I mean, you go outside and you don't see anything physically coming at you. But spiritually, the enemy is doing whatever he can, and he doesn't take breaks. And neither do the demons. They don't need to sleep like you and I do. They're not limited by physical bodies. And again, this isn't to scare you, but it is to prepare you. There's a way that you, we can guard against him having any influence in our life. Look at John 10.10. 10. Like I said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So how do you know and recognize the enemy Working against you. Three things. Anything that steals, anything that kills, anything that destroys. And you may say, well, people are physically doing, trying to do these things. Someone physically stole from me. 
Yeah, who do you think influenced that person to do that? Your enemy, my enemy. The devil's only play is this, is to try and convince you to do something that he wants you to do. In the garden, what did he start out with? Get you to question God and what God has said is true and right and get you to follow what he wants you to do. He hasn't had a different move. You know why? He doesn't need a different move. That move is still working <laughs> day in and day out. We're going to see here in a moment how the Bible calls us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know every thought? Uh, we, we can hear from God in our thoughts. We can also have our own thoughts. And then we can also see that the enemy tries to put things in our thoughts. But we have a choice of what we do with every thought that comes through our mind. Are we going to grab hold of it? And if it's an ungodly thought, cast it out of our mind and out of our thoughts? Are we going to take it captive? Or are we going to just let whatever the enemy wants to put into our minds just live there and flourish and, and, and think and meditate on it? It's a big deal. Let's look at four types of evil spirits. Paul talks about this. Though the scriptures don't give us a lot of insight into the hierarchy of evil spirits, we do know there are various different types. And we get some glimpses into how they work. What we do know is that they are evil, that they all stand condemned and defeated by the cross. But in the space where we live, in the now and not yet, there are still the rulers of this present age where we now live as believers, though we have the power and authority to combat them, but it is good to know who they are. Again, we're not getting all into the weeds of we got to know every little demon's name. That's not what we're talking about. But we should be mindful of what the Bible has, has shown us, what, what God gave us in Scripture for our understanding, right? We need to be wise. We're not to be ignorant of the enemy's devices or the, the enemy in general. And so it's important to look at these general kind of uh, defining categories, if you will, of these, the spirit realm. Number one, there's principalities. Not much is known about them from Scripture, but we do find that they seem to be more powerful than your uh, regular demon, if you will. They seem to have a regional power and influence. And, and I'll just say this before we go even farther. We understand this with angels as well, right? There's archangels. There's, there's hierarchy. God always works through authority. And so there are angels, and then there are archangels. And, and, and so we know that, that some have been given more power or more influence than others, right? And, and that's why even... even when we get into it maybe later down, a study about angels, we'll understand God actually has his angels that, that can minister to us, right? There are angels that can, that can do things for us, that can aid us and help us. And, and it's the same conversely then. If an angel, before they fell, could help us, then, then you can understand the logic that an angel that has fallen can hurt us, or a demon can hurt us. And so you have principalities. We see this in Daniel 10, where the Lord had sent an angel to come to Daniel, but the angel was hindered for 21 days by the principality over the land of Persia. God had to send the archangel Michael to the battle so that the first angel could get to Daniel and bring the word of the Lord. You remember that story? And so there was this hole. Daniel's waiting on his answer from God. God had already sent the angel to go give him the answer, but that angel had to contend with this principality. We also have powers. Number two, these powers or powers of darkness, as they're sometimes referred to, seem to be powerful demons actively engaged in trying to stop the progress of the church and to keep people in darkness. They seem to leverage earthly power 
uh, for evil and turn people towards those things. The misuses of things like money, natural power, sex, etc. seem to be favored tactics of the powers. Again, they're wanting to influence you to ruin your own life. Does that make sense? If we can get you hooked on drugs, if we can get you hooked on sex, if we can get you hooked on anything, anything that you will use outside of God's confines and instructions can bring harm to your life. And that's what the devil loves. It, if he, come on, if you can get somebody else to ruin their own life, it's less work you got to do, right? That's kind of his motto. It's kind of his M.O. All he's got to do is get you to believe a lie and, and run with that lie, and his work is done. And we see this in people's lives all the time. They believe one little lie. That's why we're so bold when we talk about there's only two genders, right? They want to keep adding to this list of all these options. There's no other options. You're born a male, a biological male, or a bio- biological female. And we're never going to affirm anything beyond that because that's what God creates. And, and the last thing we need is six-year-old, seven-year-old, 10-year-old, 13-year-old young people and children growing up confused, thinking there's more options than there really is. No, help your kids understand what is the lie and what is truth and only affirm the truth. And let them, you know what, let somebody have a principal call you up and say, hey, uh, your kid won't stop telling everybody that there's only two genders. Great. You can call me every day if that's what you're going to report about my kid. They're telling people that there's a God that loves them and they're telling people the truth about gender identity and awesome. Well done. We'll give the parents a sticker. (laughs) But it's so important. But that's where it starts. It starts with that lie and then just running with that lie and letting that lie run its course and and just lead to destruction. Colossians 2.15 says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. As I told you at the very beginning, this is about appropriation of of a victory that's already been won. We see more of these powers in Mark 5 when Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and he encounters the demoniac. They're powerful. They possessed, uh, this possessed man was able to break chains that they put on him. So he was strengthened by this demonic spirit. Now, again, the demonic spirit was still nothing for the power of God. And I love, I think it was uh, Tiffany was saying in, in worship, talking about the name of Jesus prevails. Everything has to bow to the name of Jesus. I'll just tell you, Spiritual Warfare 101, if you know nothing else, if you start feeling some funkiness or you start seeing some stuff, just begin to proclaim the name of Jesus. The Bible says that everything bows to that name. You don't have to tolerate chaos and and fighting and anger and hostility and, and, and all these things in your home. You don't have to tolerate it. Speak the name of Jesus in your home. Just like that song says. And then get out in the streets. Come on, you know you can walk your neighborhood proclaiming the name of Jesus in your neighborhood? You're like, but that would take some work. Yeah. And you'll be healthier physically for it. You're welcome. And I'll just say one other thing about this. And I've said this before, but when it comes to possession and oppression... Here's how you understand uh, how this applies. If you are a child of God, if you have the spirit of God living on the inside of you, you cannot be possessed by an evil spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit's not like going to allow room for a demonic spirit to just shack up and live in the same place. It doesn't work like that. 
but Christians, but believers, followers of Christ, those who have been born again, you can be oppressed. The enemy can try and come and, and, and oppress you, right? Try and, and you ever just feel like you just got this cloud of something funky and just hanging over you? Just feel this, you know, fear or you feel this anxiety or you feel this stress or this extra pressure or whatever. A lot of times that could be the enemy trying to oppress you. But again, you just cast that stuff off. God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. So I command that, that fear to go. You're not welcome in this house. You have no authority in this house. And you get rid of it. But if you're not a believer, if you're not spirit-filled, and you don't have the spirit of God living on the inside of you, guess what? You are kind of uh, have vacancy for the, for the enemy. And again, that shouldn't scare you, but you need to be aware. You've got to be aware. And if the enemy can get you to open the door to him, to allow him to come and, and, and even dwell inside of you, that's not going to end well for you. I'm going to keep going. Number three, rulers of the darkness of this world. Cosmos Christeros, or raw power. Satan himself is referred to as the chief ruler of this world. Look at John 12, 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. In John 14, 30. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were familiar with a ruling spirit called Beelzebub. Look at this in Luke 11, 15 and 16. But some of them said, he drives out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding a sign from heaven. See, they thought, they thought that Jesus somehow was only casting spirits out because he was operating in one of those demonic spirits. But that's, that's not how it works. A demonic spirit's not going to cast out another demonic spirit. If anything, the Bible shows you they're going to open up the door and make room for more, like get all their buddies and all their friends to come and, and wreak havoc. But no, the Spirit of God inside of us, right, greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. We have the ability to cast those things off of people or out of people. And again, it's not our strength, but it's the Spirit of God living inside of us. And you know we're called to do that. You remember when Jesus got, got frustrated uh, when I tell you, the times that Jesus got frustrated with his disciples is when they weren't acting in faith and doing what he said that he had empowered them to do. That's the only time you see Jesus really getting frustrated with his disciples. He's like, I literally conquered sin and death, and you don't have the faith to go lay hands on somebody who's sick. I literally bore the stripes, right? The, the 40 lashes minus one. On my back. I, I bled for, your, for, for healing. But you don't have this, the, the faith to go and, and place your hand on somebody and pray for healing and believe that for them to be healed. It shouldn't be that way. We should understand what God has empowered us to be able to do to, to bring his kingdom into this earth. Is this good? Am I losing y'all? Okay, number four, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Malignant, we recognize them where they stay. Hosts of wickedness to distract you from what's important. Things you shouldn't be focused on. Get fear to immobilize you or to torment you. In the heavenly places means they don't live on planet earth. The prince of the power of the air or atmosphere is one name also for Satan. 
These spiritual hosts of wickedness also seem to overlap with principalities. The one that hindered the angel from coming to Daniel for 21 days seemed to work in this way as well. What is clear and consistent all throughout Scripture is that there is an army of wickedness working hard to keep people in darkness and to thwart the plans of God and his people. And they will do it by any means necessary. Are we on the same page? We can understand there is an army of wickedness that is trying to ruin our lives to prevent God's kingdom from being advanced and to ruin our, our, our culture. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. But look at this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against uh, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let's look, break this down for a minute. Look at it. Put on, the Greek word is in duo, like a suit. When we're talking about the armor of God, we're talking about, think of it as you're, you're literally getting dressed with God's armor each and every day. The full, meaning the complete. You don't need anything else, right? God's armor is sufficient. The armor of God, you don't need any, uh, so we're, let's talk about those seven components of the armor of God. I'm sorry, my line slipped up. Uh, let's look at these real quick. The helmet of salvation, and these are what we're going to unpack one by one over the next seven weeks. The breastplate of righteousness, the girdle of truth, feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and the spear of prayer. We're going to get into all of these so you understand more. Well, what do I do with a helmet of salvation besides put it on my head? Well, we're going to talk about that. Well, the breastplate of righteousness. And we're going to talk about if you, if you don't have the armor of God on, what that looks like, what that makes you susceptible to. And I want to close with this. Three foundations of spiritual war. We've got to remember, number one, the battlefield is in your mind. 2 Corinthians 10 Three through five says this, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Remember, the battle is in your mind, meaning that's where the enemy is going to attack you. That's where if he can, if he can convince you of a lie... If he can get you to question God, if he can get you to question what's true, and he, convince, he can convince you to do what he wants you to do, which we know will lead to sin and death, that's where he wins. Because our behaviors, our actions follow what we think. Why do you think the Bible says that, that when we get saved, that, that we're to be transformed by the renewing and the washing, uh, the renewing of our minds through the washing of the water, of the word? You've got to have the word of God filling your thoughts, filling your mind so that you know how God thinks, so you know how God wants us to live. And if you don't know that and you don't know God's truth, then what are you going to be more open to? Believing a lie. The best way to not believe a lie is to know the truth and to be steadfast in the truth. And I want to make this known as well. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. When we're out there and we're just firing away on Facebook against people, can I encourage you to, to rethink that? Can I encourage you to, to stop and pause and ask 
God, what is the spiritual battle that's happening here? Let me not respond to flesh and blood, but let me instead stay off Facebook maybe and go pray. When you see the accuser of the brethren, which is another name for, for the devil, when you see things like that, when you see people just posting stuff that's, that's violent, it's just tearing other people down or trying to, to bring division or, or whatever it may be, don't respond and don't fight in the flesh. Get on your knees and pray and ask God to show you what is happening here in the spirit realm. That's where the victory is won. My last two, God is with you. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, if you committed your life to him, you're never alone. 1 John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You've got to believe it. Matter of fact, I'd encourage you to memorize that verse this next week if you don't have it already. And number three, prayer changes things. James 5.16 says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. One of the beautiful things that prayer does automatically is it puts you in a place where you're acknowledging you don't have enough and you need God's help. And when it comes to spiritual battles, you're not going to win on your own. I don't care how much medicine you take. I don't care how much... Uh, other th- ways you try and alleviate and, and deal with symptoms and cope with, with different things, the only true freedom and victory is going to come when you get victory in the spiritual realm. When you take your place and your authority that Christ has given you and you don't allow for that stuff to be in your home or to be in your life. It doesn't matter if you've had a whole family. I know a couple in our church had a family history of of alcoholism and it's just wreaked havoc on their family and the two of them started to notice that it was starting to set in and, and, and they were kind of struggling with the same thing and they thought we don't have to live like this and you know what they did the first thing they did is they went to God and they broke that spiritual generational thing off of their family they said not only does it stop with us but it's never going to go on to our kids and they also practically just stopped drinking because they said, we want to we work with God, but come on, you can't ask God to, to break something off your life, but then keep doing the same things. And so they did their part, and guess what? God's done his part, and they're freer than they've ever been. Has no hold on their family. That's what we're talking about over the next seven weeks. Let me pray for you. And I want to give you an opportunity. If you're not right with God, you haven't given your life to Christ, let today be that day. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. If you've got breath in your lungs today, you can make a commitment to God. You can ask him to be not just your savior, but your Lord today. And maybe you're here and, and, and you just really need to recommit your life because you've kind of been real casual in your relationship with God, but you're realizing you need to, you need to take your faith more seriously. You need to take your walk and your relationship with God more seriously. If, if that's you in either one of those places today, I'm going to count to three here in a moment. I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. So if that's you, you want to give your life to Christ for the first time or you want to recommit your life, would you just raise your hand? One, two, three. Every head bowed, every eye closed. 
Okay. I think we're in a room full of believers this morning, so um, let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for these amazing people, your church, the ecclesia. Thank you, God, for bringing us here today, Lord God, that we could hear and learn about the battle that's going on, but also how we can walk in victory. I thank you, God, that through this series, Lord, things that people have been struggling with that they've not been able to see a breakthrough in or, or not be able to get freedom in, Lord, I thank you that through this series, through understanding the power that you have given us, God, that they'll be free. They'll finally see freedom, not only for themselves, but for their families. Lord, I thank you that through this next seven weeks, Lord, you're going to strengthen us to be able to walk in greater boldness, to be able to walk in the faith that you've called us to walk in so that your kingdom could be on display in this earth through our lives. I thank you for all of that. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that every word that you have for us today, Lord, that's been spoken would go deep into our hearts and we would act on it in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all.